All right, everybody, we'll get started. Um, I want to introduce Michael Rhodes, who's our teacher this morning. And uh, Michael did indeed welcome a new baby girl in this world last night at 1130. So uh, awesome. And we're just grateful you're here. We're grateful she's here. But really, thank you for for making the effort, and I hope you can put three words together after being up all night. But let me tell you a little bit about Michael. Michael is a son of this church. His dad is sitting right next to him. We all know Mike because he's been part of Amen probably since day one. Uh, but Michael um, has spent the last five years with a ministry called Advance Memphis that many of you may be very familiar with. But Advance is a uh, uh, incredible ministry that is just the hands and feet of God in a uh, one of the poorest zip codes in, in Memphis and in the state, doing job training, doing life training, and really trying to help folks that aren't equipped for or aren't very equipped for uh, a productive life become productive and become successful. And he's been the director of, director of education, innovated a lot of programs there, and is now had this incredible opportunity to take what he's learned working in advance into a uh, new program with another ministry called at, at MCUTS that I don't know the name of the ministry, but it's, it's with MCUTS. MCUTS is a pastor training uh, ministry here in Memphis as well. And so Michael's going to be working with them, taking all that he knows and working with the pastors in hopes of them learning how and, and starting programs of doing a lot of the same training in the communities that they're part of. So it's an exciting uh, step in his career and in his ministry. Um, and I think that may be part of what he's teaching us today. But beyond that, uh, he's a graduate of Gordon Cromwell Seminary. He's a PhD candidate. Uh, he went to Covenant College. Just a, a real servant leader, and we are thrilled to have you. Great wife, two other kids and uh, need some sleep. So welcome, Michael, please. Well, uh, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, so I was uh, catching a little baby girl at 1130 last night. So um, I blame all anything I say that doesn't work on that. So hopefully that gets me a little bit of a a free pass. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share um, this morning. Uh, we're going to kind of move through a few different things. Uh, one, I want to talk a little bit about uh, two gaps that I think we often have when we think about the gospel. Uh, I want to talk about how the work that we've been privileged to do at Advanced Memphis and that we anticipate doing at MCUTS are seeking to try to sort of fill those gaps. Uh, and then I want to talk about how uh, we feel as we engage in this work that we need a movement. We need to enlist all of you into a movement um, to, to take uh, what we're doing sort of to the next level. So I'm, I want to share about those things this morning, but I want to start with a story. Before I worked at Advance, I lived in Kenya for two years with my wife, Rebecca, and we would drive this little rally car all over Nairobi and all over central Kenya. And uh, driving there is insane. It is absolutely insane. It is the scariest thing I have ever done. Uh, I still wake up with nightmares. And uh, one day we were driving, Rebecca was driving, we were driving through Nairobi, and it was just torrential downpour. 
huge flood, and so cars were stalling out everywhere, and uh, a car stalled out in front of us. And so we were on this little two-lane road, and there's a, you know, a shoulder over here. So we pull up behind the car that stalled, and I say, and we're like sending a wake at this point. That's how bad it's flooded. I say, well, why don't you drive around on the shoulder? So Rebecca starts driving around on the shoulder, and as she does, the car just kind of goes like this and falls into this like four-foot ditch that's where the shoulder was supposed to be. And so immediately water starts pouring in the driver's side window. Uh, I think we're drowning. Like there's water flooding up through the floor. So we climb out of one side of the car. It's tipped over. I pull her out of the car, and we watch as water floods the car up to the steering wheel. And uh, that was one of my least favorite adventures in Kenya. <laughs> it took weeks for the car to drive out, uh, to dry out. Um, but it, I, I tell that as a sort of parable to remind us that what we don't know can hurt us. Uh, when you don't know the, that there's a ditch over there on that side of the road and that it's covered with water, you can end up in it. And what you know can keep you from getting where you need to go. And so when I think about um, sort of our context of North American Christianity, I want to suggest that there have been two, at least two, gaps uh, in our gospel. Things that we've ignored um, or not known. And because we haven't known them, too often the church has gotten stuck in the ditch. And we haven't made it down the road um, because we've fallen into a trap based on what we're ignoring about the good news. Uh, And to illustrate these two gaps, I want to turn your attention to Isaiah 61. So if you look in your handout, I am the director of education, so I do make really cheesy handouts. I apologize for that. But uh, if you look there, you've got Isaiah 61 printed in your handout. And if you read it, this is uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking, looking forward to the Messiah and telling God's people what the Messiah would be like. And he sort of speaks for the Messiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This passage was extremely formative uh, for uh, Old Testament Israel as they thought about the Messiah. So formative that in Luke 4, this is where Jesus goes to say, this is how you understand what I'm doing. And he quotes in Luke 4 from this passage extensively. And right here... So this is a gospel passage. This is a gospel passage. And if, if we think about two gaps that we've typically had in our gospel, the first gap comes right in those first three verses, and it's simply this. That the poor and the marginalized and the unexpected have a special place as recipients of God's kingdom mission. The first thing that as North American Christians we have too often neglected about the good news 
is that the poor and the marginalized and the weak have a special place as recipients of God's mission. Jesus and Isaiah could talk about the good news in terms of good news to the poor, to the suffering, to those who are enslaved. The year of the Lord's favor is a reference to the year of Jubilee when all debts would be forgiven and everyone would return to their ancestral lands. There's a sense in which he's saying everything that is oppressive and that weighs people down, that's what I have come to bring good news for. And so too often in our North American context, we've neglected that God has a special concern, a special interest in bringing his good news to the poor and marginalized and oppressed. And I think, you know, that gap is world-shaking. When we hear that, when we recognize that the Bible is not just about, or the good news is not just about spiritual transaction, but it's about God coming to reconcile all things, which means liberating all of us from everything that is against us, which includes our sin, includes oppression, includes economic deprivation. We've, that is, that is world-shaking when you hear that message, but I suspect that I am not the first person to point this out to you. Um, If uh, North American Christianity has struggled with this gap in the gospel, it's a gap that we've started to identify and name and fix. And I would say, uh, in my life growing up in this church, this is something that we were talking about. Um, But I think the second gap is even more dangerous and subtle. Because when you and I, or at least, well, I'll speak for myself. When when I heard originally that the good news was, about God bringing good news uh, to the poor and to the marginalized and the needy, I immediately was able to see myself in that project because I had so much to give, right? I mean, I'm so well-educated, and we have all these resources, and you come from this affluent community. Yeah, it makes sense that God would use people like me to do this important thing of helping those people over there, right? I'm just being honest. This is how I have been tempted to think. But the second gap in our gospel is what Isaiah goes on to say in the second half of verse 3. Which is not only will the Messiah come to preach good news to the poor, but they, those ransomed poor, will be called oaks of righteousness. And they will be the ones who rebuild the walls of the city. They will be the ones who lead the renewal efforts in communities that have long devastated. In other words, if the first gap is that the poor and marginalized have a special place as recipients of God's kingdom mission, the second gap that we've too often missed is that the poor have a special place as participants in God's mission. That it is the weak and marginalized, the unexpected, who are at the heart of God's strategy to bring this good news to the world. Paul puts it this way. Not many of you, brothers, were wise or powerful or strong, but God chose the weak things of the world to shame the wise. In other words, God isn't just in the business of healing the sick. He's in the business of turning the sick into doctors. He's not just into the, in the business of bringing good news projects business of taking people from the projects and turning them into civic leaders and city planners. It's been too easy for us in the church to first miss God's special heart for the poor and bringing good news to them, 
But frankly, for those of us who've had every advantage, like myself, it's been far too easy to miss that the poor are actually at the heart of God's strategy for bringing this kingdom good news to a city. So if you look at the work that we've done in advance, and I want to share with you a little bit about that, one way to think about that is that our mission has been to live into the good news for the poor, not only by bringing uh, programs and uh, support and encouragement to people from a traditionally marginalized community, but by also trying to say, how can we recognize that you guys have a special call in God's purposes to be the oaks of righteousness who will rebuild this place? And so in advance, we've done things like uh, our work-life program, which is a job training program where we bring people in and we try to help them get ready for work. And what we found is that if you are in a, uh, a government project, uh, if you've grown up in poverty, if you've grown up in Memphis where we have, have, have this horrible racist history and uh, hundreds of years of oppression, there, there's a lot going into why we not work for you. Some of it is that you don't know how to write a resume. Some of it is that you don't know uh, how your boss thinks. And so we address those things. But some of it is uh, the hopelessness that emerges when every system that you are a part of seems to be against you. The educational system is a failure. The, the housing system is... is a, so how, how do we speak to the hopelessness? So we, in our work-life program, are, are telling people, God has a special plan for your life. You are made in His image. You are called to add value to his world through your own work. And so we, we enlist people in this project of contributing to the good of the city through our own God-given giftedness to people who've been told uh, that they don't count. And then when folks graduate from our job training program, we have an in-house staffing service. So companies come to us and they hire these graduates. And these guys go out and get jobs, some of them for the first time. Some, some who've been career uh, offenders in the criminal justice system. Some who, for whatever reason, have never worked before. Uh, some who are really, really early high school dropouts are, are succeeding at work. And when they succeed at work, they start giving back to their communities. They start taking care of their families in ways that they weren't able to do before. Not because they didn't want to, because they weren't able to. They become participants in what God is doing in our city. They begin participating in rebuilding the walls of this city of ours. Uh, with our faith and finances program, we help people learning and saving and managing your money. And we also remind them that God has given us our financial resources to steward in his world. And that even though we experience brokenness in every area of our life, Jesus is coming to make all things new. And we partner with donors so that people who graduate from that program uh, if they choose to save for an asset, like a house uh, or a car uh, or something for a small business, uh, we match their savings up to $4,500 total. Encourage savings to incentivize savings and to help people who've been traditionally excluded from the banking sector, uh, from all sorts of things, get in. And through that program, we're seeing people buy cars and become more economically self-sufficient, more able to take care of their families. Um, and we're also seeing, through a new program that we're doing, which I'm tremendously excited about, uh, is that there are all these people in our communities who, who want to start small businesses, who have the entrepreneurial itch, 
And so 18 months ago, we started a program where we offer entrepreneurship classes that are appropriate for our context. And we have guys come through, men and women, and they say, hey, I want to start a cleaning business, or I, I want to start a lawn care business, or I've always wanted to be a photographer. And we help them figure that out. And then we try to connect them, people who can help them with things like websites and business cards and logos. And we promote them on our website. We introduce them to people like you. In fact, if you go onto the Advanced Memphis page and look at the Hire a Grad tab, you can find a list of our entrepreneurs that you can reach out to and purchase services from them. And these are folks who have been oftentimes totally excluded from the economic process. And now they're using their gifts and their abilities and their dreams to uh, create profit, to hire people, to bring jobs back to our community. These folks who've been on the margins uh, are the folks who are rebuilding the walls of our South Memphis neighborhood. And so all the work that we've done in advance, you can think of it simply like this. We want to declare the good news that's not only good news to the economically poor and marginalized, but recruits them into the process of bringing that good news to others that recognizes that in God's divine plan, the unexpected are the oaks of righteousness who rebuild the ancient walls. And does our city need its walls rebuilt? Do we have some places long devastated? Yes. And Isaiah and Jesus push us to look for solutions, not in the powerful places, not in the expected places, not in the enormous solutions based on enormous wealth and social capital, but actually on solutions that start with saying, who is here at this place at this time that's unexpected, that God wants to recruit into his work? And it's been a tremendous blessing to be able to be a part of that. So how do you spread that? Right? How, do you, how do you help what's happening in advance go other places? Well, that's something that I've been thinking about for the last couple of years. And you know what happened when I started thinking about, well, how do we spread advance? I fell right into the ditch <laughs> of that second gap. Because I found that all, I, you know, I'm being very vulnerable here. Maybe it's because I just, like, welcomed a little baby girl in the world. So I'm just going to give it to you straight. I found myself thinking things like, well, we need to spread advance. But where are we going to find a, uh, talented and smart people like me? How are we going to find a bunch of Michaels, you know? And how are you ever going to afford them if you did find them, you know? That's kind of, this is a problem, right? And uh, I totally forgot, right, that God's plan A primary strategy for rebuilding the ancient walls isn't the expected people like me who have, like, community development degrees. It's the ransom poor who are recruited into this mission, the they who are the oaks of righteousness. And the life came on for me uh, when I taught a class last fall at the Memphis Center for Urban Theological Studies. And uh, if you don't know about uh, it's a, it's a it's a Bible college that targets adult students. These are non-traditional students. They're coming back after a time. Typically, a lot of them are bivocational ministers or lay leaders. Uh, I think probably 80% of them are African American. And about 100% of them, seems like, are involved in neighborhood churches, many of which are in our most marginalized, impoverished communities. And I'm teaching about community development up there, and, and all of a sudden I realize these guys are, these guys, the, I'm, not, I'm not the oak of righteousness. These guys are the oaks of righteousness. This is how it happens. These folks, right? 
because I realized that, that here at MCUTS we have this situation where people from all over the city, some of them uh, who have overcome the exact things that we're trying to over, help people overcome in these communities, overcome tremendous odds just to get to MCUTS, and they're showing up and they're saying, I have a heart for the city, I have a heart for the poor, I have a heart for the church. And I realized, what if we could spread the work that Advance is doing, not by trying to look for a bunch of hyper-educated, uh, over-educated folks like me, but by trying to equip folks who are embedded in these communities. What if these guys are the oaks of righteousness who are going to take this thing to the next level? So starting this fall, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take the classes that we teach at Advance, and we're going to teach MCUT students to teach them. Okay? So we're going to take faith and finances that we do at Advance, and I'm going to teach a class at MCUTs where we teach students how to teach faith and finances. We do the same thing with our job training program. And then if a student in MCUTs takes that class, they can also, and they want to go out and teach those classes in their churches where they can use these programs as a way to mobilize the body of Christ to care for the poor. They can use these programs as a recruiting tool to walk out of their church buildings and down the street where God's people are hurting and waiting to be brought in. They can use these curricula as a tool for that. If they want to do that, they want to bring this advanced style ministry into their church, we'll give them internship credit for it. And we'll walk with them through that process. And what that means is that in, in, if it works, in a couple years, we'll have a network of churches all over the city. And they won't always all be the expected ones. Hopefully a whole lot of them are ones that I've never heard of. You've probably never heard of. Because, because we are always looking for the wise and powerful and strong and obvious. And God is always looking for the unexpected and people on the margins. And then we can ask the question, if we have all these churches doing this, well, how do we work with this growing network of churches? So we're going to explore ways to partner with this growing network of neighborhood churches where people from those churches who've come to MCUTS have said, I want to bring this to my church. And my deep prayer is that this becomes a way of saying our work is to find the oaks of righteousness hiding in our backyards and seek to equip them to do what God has said that he will do with them, which is that they will rebuild the walls. Uh, this is an incredible new project. The reason why we don't know the name is because I don't know the name. So uh, right now, this is just Michael's new project at MCUTS. It's incredibly exciting. We've got partners uh, from some from out of town who are investing in this project, and we're still raising some money for it. So if you'd like to get in and partner with on this project, there's information about that in your handout, including my email, and I'd love to talk to you about how you can be a part of that. At Advance, every program that Advance does is, is predicated not just on volunteer donations, but on literally hundreds of volunteers who come in as supportive people to folks going through those classes. If you haven't done that yet, let me challenge you. Let me invite you to come meet some of the Oaks of City that you haven't met yet. And I promise it will be life-changing for you. So we've got all this amazing stuff going on. Um, but one, so, so I've, that's kind of how I've been involved, right, with this, with trying to say, okay, if there are these gaps, what do we do about it? Um, but I also want to let you in on a problem that those of us who are trying to running into and how maybe you can get involved with helping us solve the next problem. And my sort of biblical way into this recently has been Ephesians 4.28. 
And, and Ephesians 4.28 says, uh, Paul is giving exhortations to people to live a new way of life who are coming to Jesus. He's saying, if you've come to me, your life's got to change. Right? And he hits the big things, you know, sexuality and all that stuff. And then he gets to Ephesians 4.28 and he says, let the thief no longer steal, but do something good with his hands so that they might have something to give to those who are in need. Man, what an explosive statement about work, right? I mean, Paul's here in this marginalized community in, in, in uh, and, uh, where is he writing to? In Ephesus, he's writing in Ephesus, and he says, look, those people who are stealing, who are destroying the community, who are undermining neighborhoods, who, who are a tremendous part of the, who are making the five o'clock news, right? Those people... For them, work is the way that those community destroyers become community builders. As one commentator puts it, work is the way that the thief becomes a philanthropist. It's a picture in Paul's mind of why we work at all. Why do we work? To do something good and to have something to give. And Paul looks at some of the poorest people who are turning to thievery and he says, stop that. Turn to work so that you can have something to give to those who are in need. What a powerful message. But you know what? When I read that verse in South, living in South Memphis, having lived in South Memphis for five years, some questions come to mind for me. Like, well, what if the thief can't find a job? Or what if, if you have a felony, it's always... No one hiring. What if you're like my friend, uh, and there's, I'd say friend, it's multiple, who went through our program, who we got a job at a great warehouse on our staffing service. They did great work for months. Their supervisors loved them. And then when they tried to bring them on permanent, HR said, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't hire people like that. And not only were they not brought on permanent, but they were fired on the spot. So, Here's a guy who's been in the criminal justice system, gets out, beats the odds, finds the job, gets fired because of his background. What, do we, what would Paul have to say about that? And then furthermore, what if the thief finds a job and he doesn't pay enough to get off food stamps, much less to have something to give back to those who are in need? What do we do about that? Whose problem is that? And when we raise issues, uh, there's one of two responses, and, and I'm just guessing that you're probably having one of these two responses, and you also are probably thinking that I'm going to have one of these two responses, so just hold your, you know, hold your, don't jump yet. Uh, we, we, usually, we usually embrace one, two, we, we usually go one, two directions, it's like, yeah, you're right, there's a big problem with our system, the government should really do something about that. And, you know, if you're a certain persuasion, you say, well, let's raise the minimum wage and let's have more work programs and increase unemployment. And lots of good questions there, right? Lots of good questions there. That's important stuff to talk about. And then, and then a whole bunch of other people, probably folks here, uh, are saying, uh, yeah, that's the market's job. So get out of its way. And this problem will sort itself out. So you can figure out the right policies, get out of the way, you know, free up job creators. This problem will solve itself, you know? And what's interesting about, and that's important, that's important, it's important to know how in God's world things work. That's a good question. I'm glad smart people are working on that question. But you know what's interesting about both of those strategies 
to trying to solve our thief, our proverbial thief's problem is that they outsource the work to somebody else who's far away that's not us. And when we outsource the work to someone else who's far away that's not us, what happens is our lives stay the same and we ignore this problem. And what I want to, pres- what I want to suggest to you today incredible movement that's going on in the faith community across the nation is people are saying, yeah, it's important to think about the role of government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important to understand the system. But if we actually look at the Bible, we actually have texts that call us to say, what can we do about this problem that doesn't require us to wait on some bureaucrat or business person thousands of miles away? What can we do right here, right now? And there's all sorts of texts that push us in that direction. You know, Chris Wright, who spoke here uh, at the Christian Life Conference, talked about how all of the Old Testament laws are paradigms that we can learn from. We can look at these laws and say, you know, we we can't just bring them into the 21st century and, like, drop them on our heads. We say, we learn from that law. There's all sorts of things that we can look at. But the one I want to look at this morning is the gleaning laws. Do you remember the gleaning laws in Leviticus where it says... Uh, where God says to the Israel landowners, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings, the leftovers of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. That's weird. Let's think about what that's like today. What would that be like to say? Well, landowners are like business people, right? Land is the primary factor of production. The farm is the primary source of generating income. So these are business people. These are, these are professionals. And God looks at them and says, the poor need to be able to provide for themselves through work. The poor need to be able to go to work. So this is what we're going to do. You, when you go out to gather in the profits, leave some of the profits in the field, and that's how the poor will provide for themselves. Now, this isn't the only thing that God says in all the Old Testament. And... We can't, you know, pick it up and throw it into it. But we have a principle here that each individual successful Israelite had a responsibility to not squeeze everything out of his enterprise because by doing so, he could find creative ways to allow the poor to have access to work. I'm sure in that day, some of them thought what you're thinking, which I'll never work. Want to bet? Check out Boaz and Ruth. The gleaning laws are the way that the foreigner, the foreign woman, the Moabite, the enemy, the other, the widow, is able through her own hard work and through Boaz's obedience to allow her to follow this law that we're talking about, she not only is able to provide for herself, she's not only able to provide for her mother-in-law, the vehicle by which Ruth becomes the great, 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 someone in her mother it's grandmothers of Jesus, right? So it's like, it's like God knew you weren't going to buy it. So he put that story in there to say, no, 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 no. This like actually worked, right? And even though we don't own, most of us don't own land now, and if, if I tried to let you glean at my house, like all you'd get is my like nappy tomatoes, which are dying in droves. So gleaning isn't going to work exactly in my front yard. But what does it mean today? Well, there's, there's Christians all over the country who are saying, how can we, through our own creative sacrificial activity, leave something in the fields to create opportunities for the poor. There are folks like Wes Gardner, who's the owner of 
Prime Trailer Leasing out in Colorado. 160 employees. And a regular old for-profit guy giving away lots of money to the kingdom. And he wakes up one day and he says, you know what our community really needs? It's good jobs. And good jobs for people who otherwise are not going to stumble into them. So he started a program where he partners with a halfway house for single moms. And he brings these single moms into his business, pays them $13 an hour for 18 months, trains them to do everything they, they know how to do there. And then he either hires himself, them himself, or he looks for them for jobs with one of his competitors. And th- these young women, they come in, uh, you know, and they don't have a lot to contribute on the surface of it. And they leave being outstanding employees. Why? Because Wes has decided to leave some in the field to allow the poor to provide for themselves through their own work. Uh, we can talk about our very own, uh, as Memphians, uh, Alan Barnhart. And his decades old, you know, everybody knows that Alan and the Barnhart Crane and Rigging Company has given away millions of dollars, which is incredible. But another thing that they're doing that's equally incredible is they've said, hey, we need, we need warehouse people and welders and stuff, and people don't hire felons. So we'll work with economic opportunities and hire guys with criminal records, sometimes violent criminals, to come into our shop and work for a living. He's, he's leaving some in the fields, all right? And we're seeing business owners all over the country embrace this. We're seeing a movement uh, of, of new enterprises called social enterprises. Uh, and by social enterprises, I'm talking about Enterprises that are created chiefly to create jobs or solve a social problem, but which must generate revenue in order to accomplish that goal. There are things like Dick Giggy's Thrift Smart in Nashville, which is a decade old, and it's a for-profit thrift store that's been profitable for years, created in low-income communities specifically to create jobs. They pay above-market wages because that's what they're about. And they also know, hey, man, this is a low-margin industry. We actually can't afford to pay what we would like to pay. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to share profits with our employees every month. And last October, ThriftSmart saw $46,000 in operating profit and paid out $11,500 to 24 employees in bonuses in October alone. Now, it may have been a long time since you, you hung out with somebody who's working at or around minimum wage, but I can tell you, $11,000 in bonuses, 24 people, is a big deal for a one-month bonus because these guys are saying, we're, we're going to leave some in the fields. We're going to leave some in the fields. I can tell you about, I already have told you a little bit about, uh, the entrepreneurship thing that we're doing in South Memphis and, and uh, the way others are doing it, like Oye Waddell and Hustle Phoenix where they surround marginalized entrepreneurs from marginalized backgrounds with a team of eight experts who meet with them every two weeks to help them figure out how to ramp up their enterprise. Uh, or launch Chattanooga, where Hal Bowling, who's one of my in this work, has put uh, entrepreneurship training in the most difficult neighborhoods in Chattanooga and has seen over 100 enterprises started Many of them by people from, from the toughest backgrounds in the toughest communities. And you know what these guys do? They hire employees in their neighborhood. They become leaders. And we could talk about a whole movement of folks who are figuring out, well, how do you fund all this new experimentation? 
Who provides the investment capital for these social enterprises? Who lends to these micro-entrepreneurs? And there's a whole movement of Christians who are saying, we're going to do that differently because we're willing to leave some in the fields so that the poor can provide for themselves through their own work. That was quick. I know I went through that quick. Here's the good news. We have an entire conference day committed to what I just told you about on November 10th right here in Memphis. And every name I just gave you will be here in Memphis talking all day about how God's people are saying, enough, we're not going to wait on the policymaker way over there. We're not going to wait on some government bureaucrat way over there. If work is the means by which even the thief becomes a contributor in our community and the thief can't find work, we're going to do something about it. We're going to steward our economic power and our economic resources. We're going to look for ways to creatively, sacrificially create opportunity for the poor and marginalized in our own midst. Every time I tell this story, I think about my friend Donald. Donald is one of our, our, my heroes. He came up in South Memphis, addict, on the street, homeless. Uh, I think he was a career felon. Um, bad dude. And he met Jesus through the ministry of Lamar Walker, one of our outstanding pastors down there in South Memphis. And he gave his life to Christ, and he became a new creation. And he turned his life around, and he got sober, and he married his girlfriend. But you know what? He needed a job. He slept outside Advance's building to get in our job training program. And we gave him that life-giving message that God wants you to experience reconciliation in every area of your life, and that includes at work. And you're made in God's image, Donald, and you have gifts you can bring to the market. So he got Donald a job. It wasn't a super complicated job. It's actually putting it very nicely to say it wasn't a super complicated job. It was just kind of a show up and, you know. And he struggled with that at first. Never worked. It's his first real job. But, but he kept after it. And the people that were in his life kept encouraging him. And pretty soon we were ready to promote him. I said, Don, we need to promote you. He said, no, I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not manager material. It's the brokenness that's in here, right? That has nothing to do with being able to write a resume. It has everything to do with the lies that we believe, right? So we kept saying, no, man, you can do it. And the employment support people in advance, they kept saying, you can do it. So finally got him a better job, and he took it. And there was, like, production quotas, and you had to put stuff in computers. And every day, it's, like, way better money, right? Way better. Every day he's coming into saying to uh, one of our staff people, I can't do this. I'm going to have to quit. It's too hard. Today, Donald's still there. He's on permanent. He's been promoted. He wins awards. He inspires and coaches our people when they come on. He could do it. He's actually a phenomenal employee. He's a guy that all of us would have looked at and said, yeah, those people in the city, they don't really want to work. And yet by people surrounding him and saying, we're going to leave some out in the fields for Donald, that dude is contributing far above and beyond what he himself ever imagined. And he didn't stop. He said, no, I want to do more. He went through our financial literacy program, got a matched savings account and bought a truck, said, I'm going to start a lawn care business. First year it went Okay. Went through entrepreneurship class. Last summer, he ramped that thing up. Uh, added, like, his revenue from that lawn care business was, was representative of about a third of his annual income. And this year, he increased that. And on the pitch night where he told us about this vision, you know, he was kind of going through the numbers, and he was kind of, you know, dragging. I could tell this was not his thing. And his wife, who sat through the class with him, said, Donald, tell him about the jobs. Why are you doing it? Why are, you, why are you working 12-hour shifts at this warehouse and then driving around the city to cut people's lawns to make more money? He said, oh, yeah, that's right. The reason I'm doing this is because I want to hire 100 of my neighbors 
because they need jobs. And when Donald mows my lawn, I've seen him mow it with crackheads, guys from his old life who he's got working to mentor and to coach them. Donald is the oak of righteousness in my life right now. And working with him, think about all the stuff that had to happen to make that work. We'd have people, you know, supporting advance. We'd have people supporting Pastor Walker and his ministry. We'd have people ready to mentor Donald and coach him. We had people who gave him discounted services when he wanted to put his logo on the side of his truck. We'd have this entire infrastructure. We had people like you who, when we'd say on Facebook, "Hey, we've got a guy who's starting out," and some of you are like, "Well, he should be able to do it on his own." That's not, you know. We all know when one of your kids wants to sell insurance, you introduce them to your buddies, right? So that's what we're doing, right? Okay? And, and our friends have hired him. One of my buddies just the other day hired him on a corporate job. I didn't know anything about it. He did a great job. So we introduced him to our social network. But the result is not some act of charity where Donald's... The, the result is Donald is, is inspiring me. He's confronting every stereotype I have. He's totally recreating my understanding of what's possible economically in our city. You know why? Because he is one of the oaks of righteousness who's at the heart of God's strategy to rebuild this city. That's why. So as we wrap up, um, you know, when you look at all that went in with Donald, it just makes me think, like, what if this was the way we lived our lives? What if every business owner or influencer in a business in this room asked themselves, how could we create opportunities or apprenticeships or internships? How could we partner with places like Advance to create space for unlikely employees? What if every time we needed a product or service, we thought, I wonder if I could buy that from somebody from a struggling community right here in our own city? What if when we were thinking about investing, we thought about this new market of ways that you and I can invest uh, in a new way that helps create this new thing. What would, what would happen if we did that? Well, a couple things would happen. I can tell you experience. I can't tell you it would work. I can't tell you that it would work. I have a hunch that it would. I have a hunch that it would change our city and our world. But this is what I know. I know it would take a lot of sacrifice. I know it would occasionally hurt. I know that it would require all the creativity and ingenuity and commitment that we're used to taking to other areas of our lives and bringing that to the question of how do we create opportunity for the poor. But the third thing that I know that I can stand up here and tell you as a child of this church for a fact is that if we got this bus, it would change us for the better. That we would, I can tell you from having gotten on the bus, we would experience the kingdom of God and the king on the throne of that kingdom in new ways. Because we would be thrust into relationships with people like Donald who totally challenge our expectations. And we, we, we would quit living in a world where it's, you know, we, we, we've written off entire groups of people and we start living in a world where we expect entire groups of marginalized people to contribute not just to our economy, but to our lives and to the lives of the needy. That's what would happen. Uh, when I was uh, 16, I was convinced that I was going to be a rock star. Convinced. Some of you remember firsthand that stage. You remember how ugly it was. Um, and I believed, man, you know. And when you believe, you know, you know what I didn't do when I was convinced that one day I was going to be a rock star? I didn't sit on the couch and watch television. I didn't skip my music lessons. I didn't just 
sit around waiting for the big gig to come along. No, no. Much to my family's chagrin, I played music all the time. I dressed like a rock star. I tried to get people to rock out in the garage until 3 in the morning. I went to shows. I prepared, right? Because I'm coming. Let me tell you something. One thing that everybody in this room can be 100% sure of is that one day, one day, Christ will return and with him a kingdom. And he will bring the kingdom of God out of heaven to this earth. And he will make all things new. And you and I will live and work and worship right here in a renewed creation forever. And the economy that he's bringing, we know from Isaiah. Isaiah described it. He said things like, they'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They'll build houses and dwell in them. No one will die young. We will live in a world where all of our our giftedness is valued, where we contribute. If we believe that, we're not going to sit on the couch. We're not going to keep tolerating a way of economic life that lies totally contrary to that. We're going to say, how do we make the kingdom of God visible here? We may not be able to fix the whole system, but we're going to say, how do we make it smell like Jesus in this neighborhood? How can we make sure that the poor touch and see and taste Christ in the way that we run businesses and run programs and do church and love our neighbor? We're going to get ready. We're going to practice. So I want to invite you to find ways to make this thing that is coming real in your economic lives now. Whatever you come up with, whatever you come up with, let's start doing it. Let's make it happen. The resources connectedness that are represented just in this room are astounding. Get on the bus. And if you don't know how to do that, then I would encourage you, find out more about Advanced Memphis. Come down and volunteer. Give to our new project at MCUTS and learn more. Come to this conference on November 10th and learn about different strategies to create opportunities for the poor in our midst. But do something because he is coming. And we have the opportunity to welcome him, not just with our lips, but with transformed lives. So that all of us are speaking what we say in worship so often which is come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Let's pray. Jesus, I am convinced that what you have done for us is flowing out into all of the world and that you are using unlikely people to fill up our cities, to change our neighborhoods, to bring people in to your kingdom who don't know you. Jesus, I'm convinced. Thank you for using folks like us who don't deserve it. May you continue to make us more like you. And as we become more like you, use us to declare the good news in every corner of our city and world. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Thank you, everyone.